but the second thing that you'll want to have is the handout for tonight's message, and uh, that is called The Five Purposes of the Book of Proverbs. So there's some blanks there, and uh, hopefully that'll help you to be able to follow along. So if you don't have those, those are available in the back of the narthex. I'm going to be talking on Proverbs chapter 1 tonight. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them and open them up to Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. We're going to get right into the text here, verses 1 through 7. Uh, When we look at Scripture as a whole, we see that God has chosen to reveal himself through a host of different authors uh, and through a variety of different genres. So, for example, in books like Genesis or Exodus, we have what's called historical narrative. Or in books like Isaiah or Ezekiel, we have prophetic literature. Or in the book of Revelation, we have what's known as apocalyptic literature. And then, of course, we have the Psalms as poetry, or at least some of the Psalms, we could say, are lyrics uh, to songs. But here in Proverbs, we have what is known as wisdom literature. This book is a collection or an anthology of individual sayings. And the vast majority of them are by who? Who's the author of most of the, the Proverbs? Solomon. Good, good. You know your Bible. So it's David's son, the king of Israel. And verse 1 tells us that. When you're looking right in the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 1, it's Solomon. But maybe you didn't know this. Some of them are also by some other authors as well. So if you look ahead to chapter 30, there's this man named Agur, who is the author of that particular chapter. Or if you go to chapter 31, the first part of that is by a King Lemuel. And it says that these were words that his mother taught him. So we have some other uh, individuals involved in the writing of some of the, the, the Proverbs. They're not 100% by Solomon, but also there's some other individuals involved. And even there's this interesting note in chapter 25, verse 1, where it says some of the Proverbs were also, quote, of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. Hezekiah lived 200 years after Solomon, so we know that at least the book of Proverbs was assembled no earlier than 200 years after Solomon was gone. But all that to say, the book of Proverbs contains a variety of authors. And just as it contains a variety of authors, it also contains a variety of topics. So if you think about it, just what you know of the Proverbs, you could think of different subject matter that it covers, such as anger and health and justice and parents and poverty, pride, children, fools, uh, the wise, work ethic, and so much more. Some of those topics take up whole chapters, and others are found in just a single verse. Many times a verse will cover just one topic, and then you'll find in the very next verse it's moved on to something entirely different. So let me give you an example of this. Proverbs 25 verse 15 says, with patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. But then if you go to verse 16, it says, If you found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill and vomit it. So you might ask, what do those two verses have to do with one another? And the answer is, they don't. They don't have anything to do with each other. They were never intended to have anything to do with each other. So that makes this book very difficult to preach on. And in fact, many pastors, when they go to preach on the book of Proverbs, take it in a topical manner. They might take a verse on anger over here and another verse on anger here and say, this is a message that we're going to cover on what the Proverbs have to say about anger or about children or about parenting or different things like that. 
And so that's usually the way you take it. You can't normally go about Proverbs, or at least some sections of Proverbs, in the pericope way that you normally handle other passages of Scripture. In other words, taking this paragraph of text like you would with Paul's letter. Now, some of them you can, but not always can you do that with Proverbs. And I say all this to to make the point that Proverbs is a very, very interesting collection of sayings by a host of different authors and on a host of different topics. And so we might ask this question, which I'm going to ask tonight, why would God give us a collection, a seemingly random collection of Proverbs from Solomon, from Agur, from Lemuel, on topics such as envy and parenting and material wealth? What do they all have in common? And what is the overall purpose of these sayings, and why are they found in the Bible? After all, you can find tons of inspirational quotes in books and on the internet. So what makes these so different? Why are these specifically a part of Scripture? Well, they aren't primarily meant to give us a pep talk. And if we think of modern-day Proverbs, you know, we, we might recall some common sayings like, where there's a will, there's a way. Or, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. But again, the book of Proverbs isn't primarily written to give us a pep talk. But neither are they there just to be clever. Again, I'm sure you could think of some modern proverbs, some modern sayings that are meant to be clever or funny. For example, I like this one. It says, a closed mouth catches no no flies. I like that. This is clever. A closed mouth catches no flies. Or here's my personal favorite uh, words of wisdom. And it says, before you criticize someone, walk a mile in their shoes. That way, when you criticize them, you'll be a mile away from them, and you'll have their shoes, okay? That's, that's my personal favorite. But the, the, the book of Proverbs is nothing like that. Uh, they were written neither to give us a pep talk nor to be clever for cleverness sake. Uh, rather, we find that God gave us these Proverbs for a very specific and serious reason to help us grow in godly wisdom. They're not simply trite or cute sayings, They're meant for us to grow in holiness. So that's what these first seven verses of Proverbs is all about. Here we're going to learn the purpose of Proverbs. And you see that at the top of your handout, these five purposes of the book of Proverbs. So I'm going to go through these and give you the answers. So it's going to be rather rapid fire here, but we'll come back to them and and get into them in greater detail. But if if you're just a little nervous about having all these blanks, don't worry, we'll take care of it. We'll get it all taken care of right off the bat. Um, we we find that the passage itself gives us this pretty clear outline. Verse 1 says, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, and then it follows with a series of two statements. Two as in T-O. Two in this case means in order to, or in order that. So here the book begins by telling us, here are the Proverbs of Solomon, which are ultimately Proverbs from God himself, And these are given to you for the following reasons. We see a number of reasons indicated by this word, too. So why were they given to us? Well, here are the five reasons. Number one, to give us words of practical instruction in all areas of life. So there's your first blank. To give words of practical instruction in all areas of life. And that's found in verses 2 and 3. Number two, the second purpose is to give wisdom to those who are immature. 
So your blank there is immature. The first one was instruction, and the second one was to give wisdom to those who are immature, and that's found in verse 4. Again, we'll go into this in greater detail in a moment. Number three, to instill teachability to those of all ages. So your blank is teachability. To instill teachability to those of all ages. That's verse 5. Fourth purpose. To help the believer understand even the deepest, deepest, and most difficult of Proverbs. So your blank is deepest. To help the believer understand even the deepest and most difficult of Proverbs. And then number five, the fifth purpose of this book, to drive home the point that true wisdom comes from fearing the Lord. Perhaps you knew that one. That's derived from verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So to drive home the point that true wisdom comes from fearing the Lord. Those are the reasons why the book of Proverbs exists. So let's look at each one of these statements in detail, since Solomon obviously is taking time to explain to us in these seven verses why this book is here for us. Purpose number one, the first reason that the Proverbs are written down for us is to give us words of practical instruction in all areas of life. And again, that's found in verses two and three. It says to, again, that's in order to, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, and in equity. So in these verses, you'll see that there are actually three two statements, but I believe all of them are talking about the same purpose, which is why I've grouped together two and three. Uh, just in these three different ways, it's explained. So in other words, verses two and three say that the Proverbs are given to us for these three reasons. Number one, to know or increase our knowledge and instruction. So you could say verse two is saying it's for increased content, increased content. Number two, in these, in these verses, we see that it's given to help us understand words of insight, is what it says, also in verse 2. So you could say that's increased understanding. Increased content, increased understanding. And then number three, to know more about a wide variety of concepts and topics. And that's found in verse 3, where it says, in wise dealing, you see this is a list, in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, and equity. So you could say that's all about increased breadth of knowledge. So we have increased content, increased understanding, and increased breadth of knowledge. Altogether, these verses tell us that we have the Proverbs to give us words of practical instruction in a breadth of topics. They provide this increased content, this increased understanding, this increased breadth of knowledge. And I like the way Eugene Peterson has this very helpful summary in his intro to the book of Proverbs. Here's what he says. He says, many people think that what's written in the Bible has mostly to do with getting people into heaven, getting right with God, saving their eternal souls. And it does have to do with that, of course, but it is equally concerned with living on this earth, living well, living robust in robust sanity, in our scriptures, heaven is not just the primary concern to which earth is a tag-along afterthought. On earth as it is in heaven is Jesus' prayer. Wisdom is the biblical term for this 
on earth as it is in heaven, everyday living. Wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves. Wisdom has to do with becoming skillful in honoring our parents and raising our children, in handling our money and conducting our sexual lives, going to work and exercising leadership, using words well and treating friends kindly, eating and drinking healthily, cultivating emotions within ourselves and attitudes towards others that make for peace. And threaded through all of these items is the insistence that the way we think and respond to God is the most practical thing that we could do. So I really like that summary. Again, that's by Eugene Peterson. And so Proverbs is concerned with teaching us the things that we really need to know about living wisely here on earth. Now, many people make the point that knowledge in and of itself is not the same thing as wisdom. And that's true. A college degree, after all, is not a certification of wisdom, as it were. We could know many people who have a degree that might not be wise. And yet, the Bible is not against knowledge either. It would be wrong for us to say, you know, the Proverbs are not about knowledge at all. They're really about wisdom. Well, there's no need to separate those two concepts. The two actually go hand in hand. In fact, we see from these verses, verses 2 and 3, that in one sense, wisdom starts with knowledge. For it says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. So you see, you need to at least start with the knowledge. It doesn't end there, but it starts with knowledge. And so that's the first reason we have the book of Proverbs, to gain knowledge. And that's key, because in today's era, you can spend time gaining knowledge in almost any area. You know, according to statistics from earlier this year, I believe there are over 14 billion YouTube videos out there. And I think every minute, there's about, uh, I think it's 24 hours of content that's being uploaded around the globe just on YouTube. So there's more than you could ever possibly watch. And if you wanted to go on there and watch something about any hobby that you could name, you could do it. If you were interested in remodeling a bathroom, or learning the guitar, or customizing a car, or painting like Bob Ross, which is my personal favorite, uh, you could watch anything and learn anything. You know, I love to watch videos just to learn new skills, but the question is, are we spending the time to learn the skills that God wants us to know? That's what Proverbs is for. So we need to make space for that kind of learning as well. And we could read about a host of things, too. I get it. If you're not a YouTube fan, you could read books. You could get magazines. You could learn about anything you want. And just ask yourself, what is it that you naturally go to to learn about? What is it that you can't get enough of? It's saying this is the stuff that matters. And we need to be reminded of that again and again. Verse 3 tells us, that the Proverbs instruct us in, quote, wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, and equity. And the cool thing is that these areas will affect and benefit our lives across the board. So that's not just limited knowledge, like learning how to do a water bottle flip, although I'm trying to get better at that, okay? I, I see those kids, they're very good at it, I'm trying to work on it. Or if you want to go online and find out how to build the world's smallest pizza oven, there's a, there's a video on that. You can get it. It's about this big. Pretty cool, but not very useful, okay? Uh, in contrast to this, though, 
The Proverbs offer real knowledge that will actually make you wiser and holier and more of a just person. Verse 3 says to receive instruction in all of these areas, righteousness, justice, justice, equity. So those things are of far more value in this life than any other hobby. And I gave some ridiculous examples, you know, bottle flipping and building a tiny pizza oven. But anything that we do, really, pales in comparison to what it's saying it has to teach us here. So that's the first pur purpose, um, learning knowledge. Second purpose of Proverbs is to give practical wisdom to those who are immature, immature. So verse 4 says this. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon have been given, quote, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Notice that it says two things. Okay, so listen, youth section. This is for you. These give, but don't worry, everybody else is older, we're coming for you. We'll come back to you, okay? So you can't hide. Uh, it says two things. These give prudence to the simple, and they give knowledge and discretion to the youth. So we see that there's two groups of people that are mentioned. The simple, or as if you have an NASB, it, put, it puts it as naive. And also the youth, or the young, is that second group. So in both cases, it's speaking about people who are immature in some way. No offense, no offense. I don't mean any offense to you guys. You're fine, you'll get there. But those who are inexperienced, and we could be in that same category. If we're older and we still are naive and we're still very gullible. Gullible, in fact, is a very good way of translating that. So when it says give prudence to the simple, could mean gullible. It could be people who are just naive, things like that. Anyway, the whole idea is people who are inexperienced in some way. But for this first group, where it says, the simple, the gullible, the naive, the thing they need is prudence. And we could say, if we want to put that in a different term, because we don't often use the word prudence anymore, you could say shrewdness or cunning. Not cunning in the bad sense of things, but the thought is rather than being taken advantage of, the simple can learn how to see through the schemes of the wicked or the deceitful through their study of scripture. We can make the simple wise. And a good example of this is Proverbs 1, 10 through 15. You don't have to turn there. But in that, uh, Solomon says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Then he says, my son, don't do it. Do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. So you see there the author of Proverbs is trying to warn someone. He's saying, don't be enticed by someone even if they promise you wealth. It will only lead to your destruction. And then additionally, Proverbs 1.4 is meant to instruct the young. It says to give knowledge and discretion to the youth. An example of this is Proverbs 31.1. And says the words of King Lemuel, we already mentioned him, an oracle that his mother taught him. And then if you go ahead to verse 4 in that chapter, it says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine. And you see there the king's mother wanted to instruct her son to save him from that pain, that suffering that would come about through these destructive choices that he otherwise would have made. He's, he's trying to be warned by his mother. And we see so much of the Proverbs are written this way, 
Over and over again, we see Solomon saying, my son, my son, you know, follow this instruction. Watch out for this. And in fact, it says my son 23 times in the Scriptures, in Proverbs specifically. It's as if Solomon is pleading with us as believers, as our spiritual father, to follow these words of instruction, to not make these poor choices, so that God will bless their life if they learn to follow God's example from a young age. So we see the Proverbs has value for the young and inexperienced. This is an older, experienced person who's trying to tell young people that this is the way to live. This is some of the things I've experienced. These are some of the mistakes I've made. Don't fall into those same traps. So it's for the young and inexperienced. But it also has value even for the older and wiser among us. Okay, so now I'm getting to this larger group here. Okay. Older and wiser among us, I'll take you all to be in that category. Treat you as wise, that's good. So the third purpose here, Proverbs instills teachability to those of all ages. And it says in verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. The one who understands obtain guidance. It's assuming that you're already wise. It's assuming that you're of a certain age. It's assuming that you already understand, and it's saying, take in more. Don't stop there. You know, I, don't, I normally don't like the message translation. I, I think mostly it's junk, um, so I wouldn't recommend you using that. Stick to the ESV, the NIV, the NAS, King James. Any of those are great. Message normally doesn't do a very great job, okay? It's not even meant to be a translation. It's more of a paraphrase. But I like you know, looking at it from time to time because it's so different, usually, than our standard translations that just sometimes, maybe one in a million, it gets it right. And this is one of those times, and I really like the way it phrases it. So in the ESV, it says, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. This is how the message paraphrases that. It says, there's something here also for the seasoned men and women, still a thing or two for the experience to learn. I love that. Still a thing or two for the experience to learn. And I think that captures the essence of this verse. So just because we said that the young and the naive need the Proverbs, that doesn't mean that anyone has grown beyond their need of them. Far from it. For in verse 5 it says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. You know, there are many examples of wealthy individuals who continue to live frugally in the world. Of course, you could find people who are rich and just spend it all over the place. But you might also find somebody who is out there driving an old beat-up car, somebody who's still wearing those old and torn clothes. And in those cases, when you find an example like that in the world, we can see that it was their frugality that got them where they are today. And those conservative habits still stick with them. You know, we could say the same is true with the wise. Wise people got to be that way because they had a teachable spirit. And many times, wise people, even as they grow older, continue to be teachable. And that teachable spirit is in itself an expression and a demonstration of their wisdom. So that's the attitude God wants us to have. For it says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. Let the one who understands obtain guidance. It's an invitation. If you are wise out there, don't stop. Don't think that you have this all figured out, that you've heard this before. Even if you've read this passage before, God's saying there's something for you to learn. We are all, in fact, to be teachable throughout our lives. I remember 
Bruce Aldhouse saying many times uh, to me, to some of the pastoral interns that came through here, or maybe to another young person in the youth group. He said, that individual is teachable. And being teachable is the most valuable quality that they could have. I remember Bruce saying that many, many times. It stuck with me. And uh, it, it just is something I remember him repeating. Being teachable, one of the most valuable things that we could have as a quality. And, and we're to continue to learn from the Proverbs. That's that same spirit that's being asked of us here. And you know, most of the, for most of these Proverbs, they're short. They're fairly easy to understand at a basic level. But at the same time, it takes a lifetime to realize all of the different ways to apply them, to discover when they apply and when they don't, or to understand all of the nuances of them. You know, in seminary, I was taught, you know, to preach very confidently and to try and smooth out your words and to not say uh and but and all these kind of things. And I still do that. You probably can count them here. But, you know, to preach the word powerfully and, and to drive home the point about how we um, need to live for Christ and, and follow these commands of Scripture and really take them seriously, that's something you can learn in seminary where you want to make sure to, to make that point known. But I'll tell you, it took experience and a number of years being here to realize that as I am saying those things so powerfully and pounding the pulpit at the same time, that there's somebody usually in the congregation who is struggling with the sense of them being saved. That they know they need to follow Christ, but all the while while I'm saying this, they're wondering, am I really saved? I don't, I don't often live up to that. Maybe I'm not. Maybe God doesn't love me. You know, it's one thing to learn these things, what you should say, and then it takes years of wisdom to try and figure out all the nuances of that, to realize that there are other things that have to be known and to be said and to be thought through. So those are the things we only learn as time goes on. And the benefit of those of you who are here, who are older, you've had those years of experience to aid in that wisdom you know, often, again, these Proverbs are short, maybe just a verse long, and they seem rather simple, but it takes a lifetime to figure out all the nuances of when they apply and when they don't apply and the times to say them in just the right way and the times to say them with a bit more gentleness and when to think of yourself and when to see that bad behavior in others and use that as a warning. It takes a lifetime. It takes wisdom. It takes experience. And so it's saying, even to the wise, hear and increase in learning. We're to continue to learn from the Proverbs. There's never an age where we have arrived or when we can just set this book aside. There will always be more to learn. That leads us to purpose number four. And just to summarize, we've gone over three different purposes so far. Number one, to give us instruction in many different areas of life. Number two, to give practical wisdom to the young and immature. And number three, to encourage those who are older and wiser to keep on learning. And that leads to the fourth purpose of this book, to help the believer understand even the deepest and most difficult of Proverbs. Verse six says that uh, these are written, quote, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now, there are three categories of wisdom that are presented here. 
You could say he calls it a proverb. That's the first thing in that verse, verse 6. Then he says a saying. Or if you have an NIV or a Bible on your screen that, that you can jump to the NIV, it puts that word as parables. So the word saying, the NIV has parables. And number three, the words of the wise and their riddles. And I'm grouping that all together. So a proverb, a saying or parables and riddles. What does that mean? What are those three categories? Well, the Old Testament Bible background commentary has some really good discussion on this, and it says the following. It says, the proverb is a short statement often consisting of contrasting parallel lines. It generally has a moral-laden and a didactic uh, character, meaning intended to teach something. Parables, on the other hand, are extended contrast pieces that, in narrative form, both tell a story and require the audience to see a double or hidden meaning. So if I could pause here, think of the example of Nathan, right? And pastors going through the series right now in the book of 2 Samuel, where Nathan comes and, and speaks to David, and he gives this parable, we could call it a parable, where he's talking about this poor man and his lamb, and then the rich man who comes and takes that lamb, okay? Think of that as a parable. And then, thirdly, although there are no riddles, strictly speaking, in the book of Proverbs, like Samson's riddle in Judges, where he says, out of the eater something sweet, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes does include these sets of reflections on what we might call the ironies of life. Maybe that's what he means when he says riddles, or maybe he really does mean literal riddles like what Samson told. In any case, um, it's talking about these wise sayings and how they come in many different forms or different levels of complexity, both in understanding their basic meaning and also in understanding their application. So here's the crazy thing. Basically, this verse, verse 5, is saying that the purpose of the book of Proverbs, I'm sorry, verse 6, the, the purpose of the book of Proverbs is to understand the Proverbs. It seems kind of circular, doesn't it? The purpose of the book of Proverbs is to help us understand the book of Proverbs. Uh, what that means is that understanding Proverbs takes practice. It takes time just to sit and reflect on them. And as you begin to understand them and see their connections in life, then you will increase in wisdom and be able to understand all of the other Proverbs more readily. You know, in some ways, there are certain ones that are easier to understand, and then there are ones that you'll get to as you read this book, and you're like, I don't really know what that means, just in a surface reading. And it's saying this can help you understand even the riddles, even the mysteries, the harder ones for us to grasp. And by reading and studying, we increase our ability to understand and grasp them. In some ways, proverbs and parables can separate the wise from the unwise, and that's what Jesus is basically saying in Luke 8, uh, verses 9 and 10. I want you to turn there. Since you've got your main text in front of you with this handout, go to Luke 8 for me. Luke 8, verses 9 and 10 is where I want you to be. Because it brings up this word parables. And of course, we know Jesus taught in a lot of parables, and we could get into a bunch of just different examples of that. But here's a good summary statement. Luke 8, verses 9 and 10 talk about this. Luke 8, 9, and 10 says, And when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. He's quoting scripture there. 
What does it mean? That verse, or those verses used to really trouble me for a long time because it was tempting for me to think that Jesus was just intentionally trying to be obscure, to take something that would have been otherwise clear and obscure it with parables for some reason, almost as if it was some sort of cruel trick. But that's not what he's saying at all. Rather, he is saying that the parables aren't necessarily hard to understand in and of themselves, but grasping their significance takes wisdom, and wisdom originates from a belief and a fear of God. And Jesus knows that because some people lack this kind of God-centered wisdom, this belief, they will never grasp or accept Jesus' teaching. And that's why he taught in parables. It's not like he was only teaching them parables here, but they, he wasn't teaching the parables to the disciples. No, the disciples who believed in him and the crowds were hearing the same parable, but they were walking around with different understandings or different reactions to those parables. On one hand, those who believed in him, his disciples, took those parables, they understood them and believed them and accepted them. To the others in the crowd, they were confused, they gnashed their teeth at him, they didn't like what he was saying, they didn't get it. Okay. And so he's saying the parables themselves reveal the belief in a person or somebody who is wise or unwise, we could say, based on that belief. And so that separated the individuals just by Jesus telling things in parables. Now, there is a sense in which a person might not ever fully grasp or believe in the truth of a proverb from Scripture because they're not saved, like in that case. And they simply don't believe God's word to begin with. For 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. But assuming you are a believer here tonight, there still might be some proverbs or sayings of Scripture that are difficult for you to understand. And that doesn't mean that you're not a believer, just because some things still are confusing to you. Not at all. But what it does mean is that understanding some Proverbs, some portions of Scripture, takes work. It requires study. It requires mulling over them a bit. And not study necessarily like you need to have a Master of Divinity degree to, to be able to understand it or be the greatest scholar on biblical text in the world to be able to get it. But it means we have to take time. You know, we rush through things so much. And I'm just as guilty. You know, I read through my Bible almost as if I'm checking it off a list and then we don't stop to mull things over. Some of these things can only be grasped if we take the time to understand it. Some things that are more difficult to us, there's no shortcut for it. And so, as we study the Proverbs, we see back in verse 6 of our text that the purpose of this book is to help us to understand these Proverbs. The simple, the parables, the riddles, the mysteries, the harder portions of Scripture as well, all of it. And keep in mind that there are some things that we might never fully understand, like the doctrine of the eternal preexistence of God, okay, his eternality. I mean, yes, we can grasp that, but my mind just still is trying to wrap my head around what exactly that means, or the concept of the Trinity. Certain things in Scripture might always confound us to a degree. But it's saying as we study, we'll begin to understand his word more and more and that's a process that will never stop in our life. That brings us to our final purpose of the book of Proverbs, to drive home the point that true wisdom comes from fearing the Lord, and that's found in verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
So you'll notice, especially as I have the text listed there for you, that this verse is not structured like the other ones, right? I said the rest were following this two structure. Two do this, two, 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 two. This is different. It stops, it, it's like it starts its own new thing. But it also doesn't fit in the very next section. So if you're looking in your printed Bibles, you see that the authors of these translations, the ESV, the NAS, the NIV, have all broken these things up into paragraphs. Understand that those weren't there in the original text, right? In the original manuscripts, as far as we can tell, the oldest ones we have, it's one continuous paragraph. It's, it's just all written together. There's not even any breaks between the sentences or the words. People knew the language so well they could separate the words even as they were right next to each other. But what I'm saying is it's, it's the author's, I'm sorry, it's the translator's attempt to try and break this up into sections. And you'll see that verse 7, at least in the ESV, doesn't belong with the next section. He's going to say, my son, and, and break into a whole new section there. But it doesn't fit in the structure of 1 through 6 either. It's its own thing. It's as if this is the bedrock for understanding the Proverbs and what they're all about. It's its own statement that stands on its own. It's saying, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's the foundation stone for the whole book. It's ground zero in our quest for wisdom. Before Solomon gives us any practical advice about stewarding our money or being a hard worker or avoiding wicked company or any of the other practical things he's going to tell us in this book, he first states this essential prerequisite to wisdom, and that is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's an essential point tonight for us to grasp. Earlier in our first purpose of Proverbs, we said that this book was intended to teach us knowledge, knowledge in all types. But here it is saying that before we even are inclined to accept that knowledge, we must first fear the Lord. And, and you know this to be true. If you give the Bible to somebody who's not a believer, who is a staunch atheist, I mean, taking in all that knowledge is not going to do a whole lot until somebody first learns to fear the Lord. That's the prerequisite. It's saying it's the beginning of knowledge. And what is meant by beginning of might mean, we could say it's the first thing. It's the chief thing. It's the principal thing. Fearing the Lord is the central thing that you need to do before you can grasp wisdom. I like this commentator. He says, what the alphabet is to reading, where notes are to reading music and numerals to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the revealed knowledge of this book. So what does that mean then for us to fear the Lord? In short, it means reverence and awe, which spurs us on to obedience. That's from the New Bible Commentary. Let me say that again. Reverence and awe, which spurs us on to obedience. It's not fear in the sense of being constantly afraid of God, either because we feel like we can't draw near to him or because we fear judgment. Not at all. Because in 1 John 4, 18 says, and you don't have to turn there, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now keep in mind that the context of that verse is talking about our relationship with God. There is no fear in love, and it's talking about how we are to feel about God. We don't have to fear God because God perfectly loves us. He has forgiven us. There is no fear of punishment. We don't have to fear him because we know we are forgiven. And we don't have to be fearful of his wrath since Jesus paid our penalty. But what Proverbs 1-7 is saying is that we should never lose our reverence 
of God. And that's very different. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. I love this ending. For our God is a consuming fire. That's something that we're told to remind even after we're saved. Even after we know that we don't have to be fearful of judgment or punishment from God, we're to be reminded that we should still revere him. He's holy. He's a consuming fire. So altogether, what this is saying is that we begin to accept and ponder the meaning of the Proverbs when we recognize that it is God who made the universe, that he is holy, that he has written these things for our good, and that he has instructed us to learn them and that studying and applying these Proverbs is, in fact, an act of worship. Such an attitude can only be present when we fear and revere the Lord. So in conclusion, tonight we've explored the purpose of these Proverbs. And if you've ever wondered, why are they included in Scripture? Or what does God want me to get out of them? Here are those five purposes once again. Number one, to give us words of practical instruction in all areas of life. Number two, to give wisdom to those who are immature. Number three, to instill teachability to those of all ages, even to the wise. Number four, to help the believer understand even the deepest and most difficult of Proverbs. And number five, to drive home the point that true wisdom comes from fearing the Lord. So what do we do with this information? Now we come to the application. What do we do? I would say to you, the application is read the book of Proverbs. I think that's the natural thing. Right? I mean, what else could we possibly lead up to except let's read this book? Even if you're not in that, in your Bible reading schedule right now, uh, I'll give you that as an assignment. You can choose to, to take it if you wish, and I'll do the same. There's no shortcut to it. Read these and take some time to stop and reflect on a part of it, or multiple parts if you have time. I'll tell you this, I'm so used to going through my regular schedule of reading the Bible that I'm just reading it once and checking it off and moving on. I would say, and there's not enough time for you to reflect deeply on every single proverb in the whole book. It's just too big this week. But take a section, take a verse or two, write it in the middle of a blank piece of paper and just start drawing thoughts out on it. Things that jog your mind, ways it applies to you, ways that you've seen it apply in other people's lives, ways in experience, experiences past you've seen that play out. Just set aside a set period of time, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever, to reflect and to learn from these Proverbs. And again, I ask you, what is it that you spend time learning about otherwise? Again, for me, I love graphics. I love Photoshop. I love that kind of stuff. I could watch a YouTube tutorial on that stuff all day long. And sometimes I do. You know, but maybe for you it's a magazine on fishing. Maybe it's something working on cars or building or whatever, arranging flowers. I don't know what it is for you. You all have a hobby. You all have something that you enjoy. Whatever that is, you know how much time you spend. God's saying, let's spend time in this book. I've given to you for these purposes. Let's make use of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, myself included, as I'm standing here before these individuals tonight, that you would help us all to take the wisdom that you've provided for us, to learn from it, to grow in it, to reflect on it, to take time 
and really express worship by the way in which we give time to your word. God, help us to be wise, whether we're young or whether we are older, whether we are immature or whether we have gained a large amount of wisdom already. We are encouraged to know, Lord, that that we are never at a point where we can stop learning. You always have more to teach us. So as long as you give us breath, Lord, may we continue to grow. And uh, again, may we do it as an act of worship to your name. For it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.